Welcome to the Rebel at Large Adventure Podcast. I'm Drifter. And I'm Gypsy. Talking about ghost towns, graveyards, outlaws, heroes, and ladies of the night. Howdy folks, thanks for joining us as we visit the Boot Hill Cemetery in Virginia City, Montana. We don't want to spend a lot of time talking about the town itself, as we will have an episode about the town later on. So a quick little history on Virginia City, Montana. It started as a mining town when gold was discovered in 1863. It became the territorial capital of Montana on February 7, 1865, until Helena became the capital on April 19, 1875. That's about 10 years Virginia City was the capital. And to give you an idea of where Virginia City is located, it's about 120 miles south of Helena. So the Boot Hill Cemetery in Virginia City was the first cemetery in town. This Boot Hill is most well known for the remaining graves of five road agents that are buried there. We'll get into these five fellas today. It was not uncommon to leave a grave unmarked back then, and once the five road agents were buried there, most of the family members moved their loved ones to the new Virginia City Cemetery, which is just on the next hill, ultimately. Mm-hmm. So there very well could be an older grave there, but it is. there's nothing left showing which one is the oldest. Yeah. The town itself had a church, theater, school, brewery, saloon, and even brothels. Because you can't have a saloon in a mining town without a brothel. No, you can't. It was a very lively town that had everything anyone could need. 82 miles to the west of Virginia City is another mining town called Bannock. I mention it because folks from there play a role in Virginia City. Again, Bannock is another phenomenal ghost town. We've visited there a few times. They've got some awesome cemeteries just outside of town and then a very small one in town. Mm -hmm. But we'll cover this town in a future episode for you. So who were these five men and what did they do to be buried in the Boot Hill Cemetery? Stay with us as we tell you about the men that were part of a small gang of outlaws who called themselves the Innocents, led by a Mr. Henry Plumer. We were going to include Mr. Plumer in this episode and decided he will get an episode of his own in the future. These men were captured and hanged all on the same day in the incomplete building of the Virginia Hotel. There was even a diorama of sorts depicting the hanging in the Thompson Hickman Museum. So the Boot Hill Cemetery overlooks Virginia City itself. It's high on the hill above the main street. The headstones themselves face the town amongst a web of horse trails and a few remaining souls resting scattered in the brush. Now, let's talk of the men that are buried here. First, we have Clubfoot George Lane. Mr. Lane was born in Massachusetts, and I couldn't find what year, but we do know that he was born with a clubfoot, hence the nickname Clubfoot. I get it. <laughs> they were very creative with their nicknames back then. Uh, we do know that he went west during the gold rush sometime between 1848 and 1855. Lane became known as a horse thief and even served time for it in the Washington Territory. Lane arrived in Virginia City in the fall of 1863. He didn't initially start working with the road agents when he arrived. He got a job working for Dance and Steward's store, making shoes and mending harnesses. In December of 1863, Lane rode to Bannock to tell Henry Plumer about George Ivy's trial. That is when the townspeople get suspicious about George. The vigilantes are formed and George's name is brought up. They come to the conclusion that he was a spy for the innocents. On January 14th, 1844, the vigilantes storm into Lane's work and that arrest was him. 1884. You're correct, 1884. 
Uh, they storm into Lane's work and arrest him. When he asked why he was being arrested, they responded by saying, for being a road agent, thief, and an accessory to numerous robberies and murders on the highway. Lane responds by saying, quote, if you hang me, you will hang an innocent man. I'm convinced. <laughs> that doesn't take much for you, huh? <laughs> Uh, the townspeople were torn as if it as torn as to if he were a road agent or not, but that didn't matter. The vigilantes had a rope and a box ready for him. As George was being taken to the building to be hung, he called out to a friend and asked him to speak on his character. The man declined and says, quote, Your dealings with me have been all right, but what you have done outside of that I do not know. I found that very interesting because it is a very true point. You do know somebody face to face, but when you're not with them all the time, you don't know what they're doing. And who knows who this guy is? It could have just been a guy he knows at the bar. Yeah. You know, no, I'm not going to vouch for a guy that is a regular at the bar. Right. You know. So George then asks him to pray with him and the two men knelt in prayer. George Lang was the first to go in the group hung that day. Prior to leaping off the box, George yelled out to his friend, Quote, goodbye, old fellow. I'm gone. Men, do your duty. Touching. Mm-hmm. So next up, we have Three-Fingered Jack Gallagher. Jack was born in Ogdensburg, New York. When he was old enough to leave home, he headed west. In 1863, he found himself in Denver, Colorado, where he killed a man. He takes off and heads to Montana to hide. Then he starts working for Henry Plumer as deputy in Virginia City. Gallagher meets members from the Innocents gang while working as the deputy. He likes what they're doing and starts robbing and killing with them. Just an opportunity for a little bit more money, I suppose. Yeah, why not? Mm -hmm. So on the night of January 13th, 1864, Jack is at the local bar drinking, playing some pharaoh, and he says to the group, quote, while we are betting, those vigilante sons of bitches are passing sentence on us. <laughs> well, he was correct. The committee was following him. The next morning, he, along with Levi Boone Helm, George Clubfoot Lane, Hayes Lyons, and Frank Parrish were captured and taken to the unfinished Virginia Hotel. The vigilantes threw a rope over the beam and strung the men up. Before Jack died, he yelled out to a friend, Ray, I'm going to heaven. I'll be there in time to open the gate for you, old fellow. Quote, unquote. Do you really think he went to heaven? I believe that he thought he was. <laughs> So the third man to go is Levi Boone Helm, also known as the Kentucky Cannibal. Mm -hmm. And that's right. I said cannibal. He is one of the worst men we will talk about buried up on the Boot Hill Cemetery. He was born in Kentucky January 1827 or 1828. I've seen both years when you try to look up information for him. His family then moved to a border town in Missouri when he was five or six. And they call it a border town because this is the furthest west anybody had settled at that time aside from the Indians. Boone was known throughout the town to be a bully and a drunk. In 1848, Lucinda Browning, at the age of 17, was brave enough. Or foolish enough. Quite possibly. To marry this man. She gave birth to a daughter, but it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows. Boone would come home from a late night of drinking and beat up his wife. I read a story about him riding a horse into their house one night as well. Which one does? <laughs> I would. I've asked to bring the motorcycles into the house. Well, they are still ponies, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'll go put one in there now. Okay. Oh, wait. 
<laughs> so Lucinda finally got fed up with him using her as a punching bag and decided to file for a divorce. Boone's father even helped pay for it. He agreed. Yeah. So Boone decided at this point to leave town and head for California and search for gold. Boone didn't want to go alone, so he asked his cousin, Little Barry Shoot. Little Barry Shoot. I love that name. Absolutely. And so he asks Little Barry Shoot to come along with him. And at the last minute, Little Barry backs out. This really pisses off Boone and he decides to stab him in the chest. He's a little upset about this. <laughs> so he kills his own cousin and his family members come after him. They capture him and instead of taking him to jail, they take him to the insane asylum. Yeah, reform him. <laughs> he probably needs to stay there. Uh, but he didn't stay. Boone ends up making friends with the man in charge of taking him on his daily walks and was able to manipulate this poor man into helping him escape. At this point, Boone heads west to California, this time on his own. Well, he killed his last partner, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, who would want to go with him? Mm -hmm. uh, while in California, Boone murders several men, including a man that took him in, fed him, and clothed him. That's gratitude. Yeah, he was a shady little asshole. So he then runs away to the Oregon Territory to avoid being caught. While on the run, he meets up with other fugitives and brags to these guys about his murders and also tells him that he eats his victims in order to stay alive. Because mm, deer are hard to hunt. <laughs> yeah. So for some reason, these men think it's a great idea to travel with Boone to Salt Lake City. Yeah. <laughs> Why not, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're fine. <laughs> we'll be safe. So they uh, head head to uh, Salt Lake City in October 1858. And while they're on their way, it starts snowing on them. And they also ran into a group of Indians, which forced them to change their route. The men did not plan on this, and they had little to no food. So they started killing their horses for meat and the hides to make clothes. Towards the end of the trip, only two of the men are left alive, Boone and a man named Burton. Burton couldn't go any further, so Boone leaves him to go in search of civilization. On his way back to Burton, he hears a gunfire only to find Burton has killed himself. Most people would feel bad about this, but not Boone. Nay, nay, he sees dinner. He cuts off Burton's leg and eats it, but he doesn't stop there. He cuts off the other leg and puts it in his bag to have food for the rest of his trip. Yummy. <laughs> so do you think Boone found him or do you think Boone found him and killed him? I think that Boone murdered Burton. I don't think that Burton did it to himself. <laughs> There's no witnesses there to say one way or the other. And if this poor fellow is hungry. Yeah. I mean, and he already told them that he's eaten people before. So what's stopping him, right? Mm-hmm. Interesting. <laughs> so Boone finally makes his way into Utah and he finds help working with the Mormons to get rid of the men that they don't want in town. But Boone ends up killing two men while in Salt Lake City. The Mormons don't appreciate this and they end up running him out of town. Wasn't the kind of muscle they were looking for, I guess. Yeah, I think they were looking more for like a bouncer, not a bounty hunter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> in June 1862, Boone is found in Florence, Washington where he's hanging out and drinking with his buddies when one of them starts telling him about a man named Dutch Fred. Boone starts to hate this man because his friend tells him about how strong Dutch Fred is and how everyone in the town calls him Captain. Jealous much? No, not at all. 
he decides that he's going to find this man and kill him. Boone, carrying his gun, bursts into the bar where Dutch Fred is playing cards and drinking and challenges him to a deadly fight. Dutch Fred pulls out a knife and heads towards him when a group of men stop them and take their weapons, placing them safely with the bartender. For some reason, Boone feels bad about this whole thing, apologizes, and leaves the bar. Sorry, guys. (laughs) But... This doesn't last long, I'm sure because Boone went back to drinking with his buddies. He decides to go back to the bar a few hours later, asks the bartender for his guns, and promises to leave. Big surprise, the fucker goes to Dutch Fred and fires his pistol at him. He misses Dutch Fred. He then stands up to beat his ass, and Boone fires again, this time hitting him in the chest and killing him. Little bitch Boone takes off and goes into hiding again with his buddy. In July of 1862, reports show he was in Keithley Creek when five men carrying $32,000 in gold dust stopped for dinner. That thirty-two grand back then is just shy of 100000 in today's money. That's a lot of money. So three of the men stay to make dinner while the other two continued on. Boone and his buddies hear about the men with the gold and decide to kill him. Why not, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they then take the gold and bury it so they can come back for it later. Some people believe that the gold is still buried up there because there's n- vague reports of him going back. Boone and his buddy do a terrible job at hiding the bodies and a few days later they're found and brought into... I'm going to say it wrong, and we looked it up, and I'm really sorry. Quinsnell Forks? I'm sorry for our Canadian listeners. I apologize. Canal. 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 It's not spelled like Canal, but that's how you say it, so I apologize. Uh, So the men were found, and they were brought back into Canal Forks, where the people of the town, they they just knew it was Boone. Uh, So while he was in Canada, Boone was arrested due to not paying his bar tab. The Canadian police knew who he was and turned him over to the U.S. authorities. When they asked Boone where his partner was, the colonists reported him saying, quote, Why do you suppose that I'm a fool enough to starve to death when I can help it? I ate him up, of course, quote unquote. I mean, duh, this man had done it before. Why stop him now? Boone is placed in the Port Townsend jail where he digs a hole and escapes. He then makes his way to Bannock where he meets up with Plumer and his gang of the innocents. When Boone was caught with the four other men, he said, quote, If I'd had a chance or if I had guessed what you were up to, you'd never taken me. Boone is tried in a secret court where they find him guilty. The entire time he was on trial, he claimed he was innocent of the crimes. They even had him kiss on the Bible and swear to this being the truth. But the moment he was sentenced, he confessed to murder in Missouri and in California. He also admitted that he had been in jail once or twice, but denied that he was working with the innocents. Boone went on to say that, quote, I have looked at death in all forms and I am not afraid to die. Boone was a dick. Even when taken to the gallows, it is reported that he said to Jack Gallagher, quote, stop making such a fuss. There's no use being afraid to die. I wonder if he was trying to provide him comfort in his like fucked up mind. Who knows? <laughs> and then when they took off the jacket of Gallagher, 
He said, quote, give me that overcoat of yours, Jack. You've never given me anything. When George Lane jumped off the box to hang, Boone yelled out, quote, there's one gone to hell. Next went Jack Gallagher, and while he was struggling on the rope, Boone had some snarky remark, quote, kick away, old fellow. My turn next. I'll be in hell with you in a minute. As Boone prepared himself for the end, he told the 6,000 onlookers, quote, every man for his principles. I hurrah for Jeff Davis. Let her rip. I had to look up who Jeff Davis was, and he was the former president of the Confederate States. Just a little truth fact. Truth facts. <laughs> Regardless of Boone worked with the innocents or not, he was a shitty ass, terrible man and just needed to go. So up next, we had Frank Parrish, who was born in Tennessee. We're not sure of his birth date, but we do know that at the age of 25, he headed west in search of gold, as so many did. Mm-hmm. Parrish and his buddy purchased a claim together, not really thinking it paid off, so Parrish decided to buy some property and try his hand at ranching. He purchased land between Bannock and Virginia City and began doing just that. Ranching. He must not have been the best at ranching because sometime during the winter, he froze his hands and his feet. And at this point, he was no longer able to walk or work the ranch or do much else, I suppose. But as luck would have it, his ranch was right along the busy stretch of road and his wife decided to start taking in passerbys. She would offer him food and a place to sleep for a little bit of money. Pretty damn smart if you ask me. Mm Mm-hmm. It's reported by Wilbur F. Sanders that in November of 1863, Parrish was so sick that he had to have the doctor come out and look in on him. The doctor told him that his fever was too high and he probably wouldn't have much time to live. So a little side note, Wilbur F. Sanders became the first governor of the Montana Territory. And he tells a story about riding out to the cabin in search of Plumer and his men. So Plumer and his men were supposedly going to Parrish's ranch to collect his horses. They knew that he was sick and on his deathbed. They didn't want his Bannock Indian wife taking the horses with her when he passed and then giving them to her family. In truth, they were going to the ranch because they believed that Parrish had a silver mine on his property and they wanted to steal the silver from him. Sanders even talks about meeting Gallagher and how when he asked him about Plumer, he got upset and held a pistol to his head. Little rash. Yeah. On January 14, 1864, Parrish decided to go into Virginia City. He had been sick for a while and they were running low on supplies. Soon after he got into town, he was swarmed with a group of vigilantes and arrested. When asked why he was being arrested, they accused him of being a road agent. Parrish was dragged into the secret courtroom where he did confess to, quote, rustling cattle and horses, providing food for the outlaws, and robbing a stagecoach. I mean, who didn't, right? Yeah, I mean, that's what I did on the way home from work today. (laughs) Even though Parrish and his wife would take in travelers in need, no matter who they were, the men still found him guilty and sentenced him to be hanged. Frank gave final instructions regarding whom he owed money to and who he wanted his clothing to go to. While standing on the box waiting for his turn to go, Frank watched three of the men be hung and could no longer take it. He asked that the handkerchief be taken out of his pocket and tied around his face. Frank Parrish was described by his friends as being rather quiet, steady, and very poor. My thoughts on Frank was he did take in and feed a lot of the road agents. You didn't really ask who they were at the time. Mm -hmm. And if you were in his shoes, would you tell him no? No. Even if you did no, I'm sure he was a little, little afraid that if he denied them, they might kill him anyway. And he also needed the cash. Yeah. I don't think I would say no. Mm hmm 
Uh, last on the the one to go is Haze or Haze. So it's spelled two different ways, H-A-Y-E-S and H-A-Z-E. Uh, and his last name was Lyons. Uh, I couldn't find much information about where he was born or when he was born. And the first time for what I can find that Hayes is caught killing someone is when he killed Dillingham. 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 Sorry. Uh, Mr. Dillingham was Plumer's deputy, but he wasn't a crooked deputy like the rest. He found out that Buck Stinson, Hayes Lyons, and Charles Forbes were going to rob a man named Dodge and Wash Stapleton. Wash? Wash. Not Warsh. <laughs> Warsh Stapleton. Uh, so these guys were headed to leave Bannock to Virginia City. And Dillingham tells Dodge and Stapleton uh, about the plans. And for some reason, Dodge felt the need to tell Stinson, Lyons, and Forbes that he was told by Dillingham that they were going to be going to rob them. It was at this moment that the three men decided to kill Dillingham. The next day, Dillingham was in a courtroom trying to stake a mining claim when the three men came up to him and demanded that he go outside. They then circled around him and drew their pistols. Hayes shot first, the bullet hitting him in the leg. Buck Stenson's bullet flew over his head, but Charlie Forbes made sure to finish the job firing his gun straight at his chest, killing Dillingham. The men were not worried about getting in trouble because Jack Gallagher was the sheriff deputy at the time and he helped them cover the whole thing up. He took all the three men's guns and reloaded them so the town's people wouldn't know who fired the deadly shot. The three went to court but they were having a hard time proving who actually killed them so the men were let go. I think this whole thing is what draws attention to him and makes the vigilantes want to kill him. Hayes was captured at the miner's cabin just outside of Virginia City and brought into the makeshift courtroom to plead his case. He was found guilty and sentenced to hang. As he stood in front of the building waiting to be hung, he begged for his mistress so that he could see her, but they refused to let him. A friend even offered to go get her, and Hayes begged again to see her. They responded to his request by saying, quote, Hayes, emphatically, no bringing women to the place of execution played out in 63. This comment was made to do what happened at the trial of the Dillingham murder when over 150 women cried and yelled out for the release of the three killers, one of whom was Hayes, caught in the act of murdering a man. Hayes Lyons was the last of the five men to be hung. The entire time the men around him were jumping off their boxes, Hayes kept telling about how he was a good man and had a good mother. He must not have been a good man because he was, he technically did kill Dillingham. Murderer. <laughs> uh, Hayes' final wish was that his mistress would get her gold watch back that he was wearing. Rather odd he was wearing her watch. Uh, he also asked that his body be taken down and that he was not left hanging too long. The final sound you hear from Hayes is the breaking of his neck. That's his neck breaking, by the way. <laughs> so two hours after these men were hanged, they were cut down, their lifeless bodies taken to the street out front of the building so their families could come and collect them. But no one came. Not even Hayes Lyons, lady. Sad. You know, the town folk eventually took the five men to bury them up on the boot hill. No markers were placed for them until 43 years later. Some men at the local bar started to wonder who was buried up there. 
One man came forward saying that he knew who was buried there and the order the men were buried in and took them up to the cemetery. Of course, no one believed him, so they exhumed all the bodies. George Clubfoot Lane was the first to be exhumed and they knew it was him due to his, you guessed it, his club foot. <laughs> so for some fucked up reason, they took his foot and placed it in a cabinet in the courthouse. Today, you can see the foot placed neatly under a glass jar at the Thompson Hickman Museum there in Virginia City. That's so weird to me. <laughs> Souvenirs. Uh, records indicate there are a total of 15 graves remaining on the hill, five of them being the road agents. There are two markers remaining near the bandits, that of Clara and William Dalton. They are not connected to the road agents, nor were they connected to the Dalton gang. Clara, William, and their four children came to Bannock in 1862. They then moved to Virginia City in 1863, and soon after, their oldest daughter, Matilda, got sick with typhoid. Clara nursed her back to health, only to get her and William sick. They both died in January 1864, leaving Matilda to take care of the three younger children. She then marries a man named Zebulon, and you're going to have to help me with this last name. Thibodeau. Thibodeau. And they moved to Idaho. Because Matilda left Virginia City, her parents were never moved to the new cemetery, and she did not even put a headstone up for them before she left. William and Clara's graves were finally marked in the 1920s when Matilda's children came back to Virginia City and placed a headstone for them. So the final notable graves we want to talk about at the Boot Hill are those of the rodent agents. There's three mini marked graves of some cheese thieves. They've got a pretty fun story and we actually decided to cover that later. It won't take long, but maybe a little bonus episode. Mm -hmm. Well, there you have it, folks. You now know what we know about the Virginia City, Montana Boot Hill Cemetery. So if you'd like to see some pictures of our visit, I'll attach some to this episode at rebelatlarge.com. If you'd like to follow along in our adventures, you can follow us on Instagram at rebelatlarge. We appreciate you listening. Please read, rate, and review us. Yes, please. Safe travels. We'll see you all down the road. (laughs) 